Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined, as always, by Craig Mish. Craig, how are you doing on this fine middle of spring training week? I'm doing real well. Spring has been fun so far. It's been great to get to Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium and the 15 ballpark of the Palm Beaches. All of the teams, uh, as always, super accommodating to me. I really don't have to travel very far because a lot of the teams come to southern Florida at least. So I've been spending a lot of time at the different ballparks and, and covering all the teams. So it's a lot of fun. And that on top of doing my Sirius XM show every day, this is like prime baseball time for me. So it definitely has been a lot of fun. A lot of miles on the car, but it's okay. A lot of, that, a lot of miles on the car. I feel you there. Uh, yeah, I know, you know, from covering all of the different teams, you have a lot of different information. And so we'll get right into it. Um, starting with the Marlins, uh, and really, you know, continuing there throughout most of the show before we get to interviews with Clark Spencer, formerly of the Miami Herald, who was just retired and Curtis Granderson, the Marlins outfielder. We'll start with some right. information on the current roster and other players on the team. Sure. Uh, and one change that was made that at least was surprising to me as I've gotten to know him pretty well over the years it's Mirandi Gonzalez was designated for assignment uh, or outrighted rather um, and now is with the San Francisco Giants organization and I'm wondering what you have on on the information there Greg yeah well first of all there's it's a little bit complicated so I'll try to walk everybody through it a little bit the easiest way to describe it here is that like Nick Whitgren or similar to Whitgren the Marlins like basically 39 or 40 players better than they like Mirandy Gonzalez, and they like a lot of prospects better than they like Mirandy Gonzalez. That's not to say that they didn't like him. They did. They would have liked to keep him, but they basically were left with no choice. Why? Well, this has not been reported yet, but next week, Curtis Granderson has a very early out in his spring training contract where he can go to any other team. And that is the 15th of March. So that's next week. The Marlins had to make a decision on someone on the 40-man because they're going to carry Granderson this year. They don't want him going anywhere else. So had they not added him to the 40-man, and they will next week, they would lose him. Granderson could go play for any team. A lot of players in spring training do have outs. They, uh, usually it is the 21st, the 22nd, the 20th. It's like the last week of spring training so they can go to another team. Granderson, I guess, when he signed his – his non-roster invitee with the Marlins wanted an earlier out. So that kind of forced the Marlins hand to make a decision a little bit quicker. So that's something that I thought was real interesting that I didn't know. Now, in terms of Mirandi specifically, this is kind of the way that it was explained a little bit is that when you have a player on the big league roster, like Mirandi Gonzalez pitched for the Marlins last season, if Mirandi Gonzalez during this spring training was to get hurt, because he pitched in the big leagues last year, the Marlins would have to carry him on the 40-man as long as he is on that injured list next season. So it was a little bit risky. Miranda Gonzalez is not hurt at all. But it was a little bit risky because had something happened to him between now and opening day, the Marlins would release their 25-man, their 40-man, and Gonzalez would be on it, like, permanently. You cannot remove him from that. I think that this similar situation happened last year with Chris O'Grady, who pitched in the big leagues two years ago, and then they had to carry him, too. And they're not interested in tying up a 40-man spot with a guy who can't pitch. So what right. I guess they chose to do was, okay, let's try and sneak him through waivers, get him off the 40-man, 
because he's we have to do something someone has to go so let's try and do this if it works great and then if something happens to him well okay fine at least he's not on the 40 man they had to take a calculated risk with a player that was basically 40th or 39th or 38th right. on their roster and so Mirandy Gonzalez gets picked up by the Giants and the Marlins now have 39 out of their 40 men on the roster of which 40 will be Curtis Granderson I'm assuming on the 15th of March which is next week so a little bit of a technical Mm-hmm. rule that I was unaware of that now will explain why it was done. Some people had suggested to me uh, on social media and asked me, well, why don't they just add Granderson to the big league roster on the 26th or on the 27th? Well, you right. can't do that if he's got an out next week. He could go play for any other team in baseball. You're seeing all kinds of teams having injuries. The player on the Padres, uh, Travis Jankowski, he broke his wrist. Granderson would be a great veteran to go in that mm-hmm. clubhouse in San Diego. I'm sure that's not something that hasn't been discussed either if he would opt out. So uh, good for uh, the Marlins to kind of get this a little bit sorted out. I brought up, you know, potentially some other names that I thought weren't as, val- uh, weren't as valuable as Miranda Gonzalez, but clearly they do value a lot of these young kids. And I think the other thing that's, that's really important to note is that the Marlins feel that their farm system is way better than a lot of people have it ranked right now. 13th, I think, overall. They feel that they are much stronger than that. I'm not saying number one, two, or three, but they believe that, that they're being misranked a little bit. So that's kind of why some players are just coming in and passing up players on the 40-man. And, and I think you're going to see that as they continue to develop these kids. Yeah, we'll see what happens with Morandi's future and the future of the Marlins rotation. You know, he was someone that was a reliever last year for the team. Uh, projects, I think, more as a starter because that's what he did in the minors. But I guess you never know once they get consistent playing time in the majors. But speaking of that starting rotation, uh, there seem to be seven guys that are competing for five spots for the Marlins. Yep. Um, that's Jose Urania, Dan Straley, Wei Yin Chen. Caleb Smith, Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Richards, and Pablo Lopez. Mm-hmm. I will point out, as you pointed out on social media, Mike Hill was on 940 uh, earlier this week. Did not mention Chen or Straley when talking about the depth of the rotation. What do you have right now in terms of who you believe will, will either make the Marlins rotation or any sort of tidbits there in regards to the competition? Yeah, and I was driving yesterday when I heard that. It caught me by surprise a little bit. And I suppose that what uh, Mike Hill was doing was referring to the young players or the young pitchers on the roster, although Arrhenia is still relatively young, has been around uh, quite a bit now on, on the roster of the Marlins. Okay, so regardless of that, let me kind of clear this up because I, I, I can't say this with, as I would say, 100% certainty for entertainment purposes only, but I would virtually guarantee – that this is what the, the uh, starting rotation is going to look like going into the season. So Arania is going to start opening day. Dan Straley is going to start the second game of the season against the Rockies. I believe, but I'm not positive, I believe that Sandy Alcantara is going to start game three, hmm. and Pablo Lopez will start game four, and Trevor Richards will start game five. That's, I, and again, huh. that, that could change a little bit. As they get closer, first of all, there could be injuries or different things could happen. But as we get closer, they may find something metrically or analytically that, uh, that has these pitchers shifted around a little bit specifically to face the Rockies or, or somebody else. But that's what I believe the starting five will be going into the season. So that raises the question of the two players, Caleb Smith and right. Wei Yin Chen. We'll start with Caleb Smith, who is about ready to get back into major league games. Caleb Smith 
has said that he is as strong and as ready as he ever has been, maybe even more ready than going into last year. I think there's a chance he's the Marlins' best pitcher. I do. But what they are doing is they are using extreme caution with him. And although I think that they do believe that he would be ready to throw the first week of the season, I don't believe he's going to do it. I think they're going to put him on the injured list to start the season. Mm. So he would probably be, I don't know how they're saying it. It used to be DL'd, so injured listed, I guess, IL'd. Uh, maybe a day or two before the season starts. So the first time through, he doesn't pitch. Maybe he stays at extended spring, gets a start in somewhere, and then that second week of the season makes his big league debut. Who would be out of the rotation at that point? I don't know. That's a question for a month from now, obviously, because we're on the 6th of March. This is We're talking about April 6th or April 7th. So he'll make his debut, I believe, the second go-around in the major league season because I don't think that he – at this point, not having made a spring start, he is definitely behind, even though he's thrown some sim games. And then the final piece to this puzzle is Wei-Yin Chen, who I don't think is going to start the season in the rotation. I don't think so. I think he's going to be the Marlins' long reliever, and that's pretty much the way it's going to be. I would guess that they'll try to... This seems a little bit crazy to me, this whole home and road thing. I I just think it was one fluky year, and I don't don't think that's going to happen again, and I don't even think it's going to be close. But that being said, they could use him in long relief at home for now just to see how things go. I am curious to see how inevitably he will end up taking this because he's been a starter his whole career, but it is very clear that there is a minimum of five to six pitchers that are ahead of him. Right. And again, he still will have two or three starts before the end of the spring to throw 10 shutout innings, or, and that could happen. Things could change. But I believe that that will happen. Also, I uh, was told he will not be an opener for the Marlins. So Hmm. that is also out of the conversation. He would be a long reliever or a starter with the Marlins. Definitely interesting to see all the money that is wrapped up in Wei-Yin Chen put into a long relief role. But like you said, it's about success. It's about also seeing some of these younger guys compete at that level as starters. Uh, Speaking of young guys, Lewis Brinson is absolutely tearing it up this spring. And I know, you know, we've had the conversation about spring training numbers, but there seems to be a more confident approach. Um, Lewis Brinson, probably going to be your opening day center fielder, unless uh, there's an absolute catastrophe. Uh, Lewis Brinson, thoughts on Brinson, thoughts on maybe the other outfield positions, including right field. Uh, What's going on with the Marlins in the outfield? Yeah, and, and again, I going into the season last year, I was probably Brinson's biggest advocate. I thought that, and I was telling people that would ask me, in fact, right before they made the trade, I had heard that he was in the deal, and I was telling people, wow, this is going to be a great player, and this is someone that's going to be the face of the franchise. And it's kind of weird when you get scorned a little bit as a media member. Hmm. And, and that's kind of my take on it a little bit is I had people telling me, no, 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 he's not going to be great. And I was like, oh, you're wrong. And then I was wrong. And now here I am again, back down this road. Am I going to get burned again? So here's what I will say. He's had a great spring. There has to be more optimism than there was, but he also had a great spring last year. Uh, I've been critical of the season that he had last year. There's no question about it. Do I believe it is a complete and total transformation of Lewis Brinson? No, I do not. That being said, there has to be more optimism this year going into last year. We'll leave it at that. We'll see how the last two weeks of spring training go. And the real question for me is not going to be how Brinson starts the season in April because we've seen other guys start the season great in April. 
It's going to be what happens when that first 0 for 6, 0 for 7, 0 for 10, 0 for 4, because that's going to happen. Right. And he was not able to dig himself out of those holes for long periods of time last year. And that is really the testament of a player to me figuring it out in the big leagues. So we'll hope for the best. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks of spring training and have to be more optimistic than we were last year for sure. In terms of uh, the outfield, I, I believe at this point there is a real competition going on for the right field position with the Marlins uh, between uh, Garrett Cooper and Peter O'Brien. I think Peter O'Brien, no doubt, was the leader going into spring training. And I believe they still like him a lot, but he has struggled in a very big way, striking out all over the place. I don't think that you can just say right now that that uh, that O'Brien is the starter and right. I think you have to take a step back now and say, hey, wait a minute. We've seen this play out with him at the big league level so many other times. Are we just going to throw this guy into right field, let him play every day? I don't think so. So Garrett Cooper, who hasn't played a ton, I think has an opening here, Jeremy, over the next couple of weeks. I yeah. think that if he plays really well, remember Granderson's there too, I, I think there is a chance that he could get unseated, but they will give O'Brien every opportunity to work out of this and get back into what I would say is big league form, but time is running out on him to just say that he is the everyday right fielder for the Marlins at this point. I can't say it. Right between O'Brien and Cooper, and then you look on the other side of the outfield, and Austin Dean has been absolutely crushing the ball. So yep. it's funny when you look at the results – uh, and then, obviously, Granderson, who you mentioned. Monte Harrison, who needs to come up anyway. Yeah, well, Granderson won't play yeah. at all against left-handed pitching. Right. None. Zero zip. So that will always put Dean in left or Cooper mm-hmm. in right with O'Brien in right. There'll be playing time for everyone when a lefty pitches. Right. But when a right-handed pitcher throws, I think Granderson is going to play most of the time and get 450 plate appearances, maybe 400, mm-hmm. depending if they trade him in July and, and, all, and all that would work out. So right. uh, a real, not many real competitions to me with any baseball team. They say there's competition, mm-hmm. but I don't think so. I think that at this point, that's the one spot that you got to look for and wonder who's going to end up starting opening day. And like you just mentioned, there's not a ton of competition, but bullpen spots are always kind of up for grabs. Who, who right now is a guarantee to be in the bullpen in your mind? Right. Well, if, if we're going to put Chet in the bullpen, which I think that I don't think the Marlins are going to cut him. So you're going to put Chet right. in the bullpen and he's not, obviously not the top guy, but I want to just mention that at the start. And then you have Adam Conley, who's going to be in the bullpen. You have Romo, you have Steckenrider and you have Tyron Guerrero. So those are five pitchers for sure. Now we're looking at maybe another four or five. Mm-hmm. And the, the really the only other one that I could almost guarantee will be on the team is Austin Bryce. I think they really like him a lot. They've tried to get him a couple of different times. He was with the organization initially. He's not going to whiff guys, but he's going to get ground balls. And that was so valuable for them last year. The Marlins defense is good. They're, they're, the Rojas or Riddle at short, Castro at second, it's good. It's not the best, but it's good. They feel confident. If they can get a ground ball, they can get out of the inning, and he's going to be a sinker ball or ground ball type, and they don't want to lose him. So Bryce, I believe, is going to be on the team. And then I, I think that the last couple of weeks will determine the rest, and so I'm not really willing to put anybody as a guarantee. So, But I think on every baseball team, those are where, really where the competitions lie. Right. So really three or four spots open for the bullpen at this point, and we'll see how it shakes out. And lastly, uh, one guy we're not going to see this year, more likely than not, uh, part of the JT Real Muto trade at Sixto Sanchez. The minor league camp started yesterday, or rather, two, yeah, yesterday uh, for for the Marlins. Um, anything on Sixto before we get to these interviews with with Granderson and Clark Spencer? Yes, they're going to be super careful with Sixto Sanchez. I don't know exactly what his 
his innings limit is going to be, but he will have one. That is certain. I don't know that what that number is going to be. And again, the Marlins minor leaguers just reported to Jupiter. So we'll have to wait and see what the number is. I'm sure it will be reported. I'm not there every day. So it's kind of hard for me to, to grasp everything that's going on 24 seven. I'm going to guess that it's somewhere between hundred and 150 innings this year. And that's just me guessing. That's not factual. That's just my opinion and a guess. But I think that we will find out in the next couple of weeks what that will be. And then at that point, we'll come back here. But clearly, we're going to pay very close attention to Sixto Sanchez because he is the number one prospect in the Marlins organization. Yeah, it'll be uh, all about Sixto and the other prospects going forward. But for right now, we deal with a veteran on the Miami Marlins on the roster and a veteran in terms of covering the Miami Marlins and Clark Spencer who covered the team for years. And so we'll get to those interviews right now here on Swings and Dishes. Let's kind of start back from a couple months ago, if you don't mind. How did this happen? How did it, it uh, get to this point where the Marlins, Grandy, became on your radar and you decided to come here? So they reached out saying, you know, there's a, some things that we're looking to do. We feel that, you know, I could possibly fall into the mix of their plans moving forward in the future. It was also some stuff that my agent, Matt Brown, and myself were looking at as we were trying to look at potential teams. There were a few other teams that also came in around the same time. And then we started looking and figuring out, okay, which team has the best shot for me to get in, help move in the direction that I wanted to go in. And this one checked off most of the boxes. So I was excited about everything that they were talking about, things that I could be a part of, and coming into a situation where everything is trending upward. So all those different things were in the boxes of stuff I was looking forward to going into this offseason. I apologize if it's it's some sort of breaking news, but I don't think that that's been discussed at all, or at least publicly, about uh, the future maybe of you joining the organization in another oh. role. Is that is that sound is that sound like I'm right here? Or is no, no, that... that stuff I haven't talked about. Okay. Anything. Yeah, yeah. Meaning, me coming in at whatever time I hopefully would would have signed with the team, which was February 9th, I don't know what it was, to the end of this season. Okay. Meaning, yeah, the baseball side of things. Yeah, yeah. The stuff afterwards, yeah, that part is still unknown. I, don't, I haven't heard anything. We haven't talked about any of that stuff. If that's a possibility, obviously I'll talk about it at that point. But, yeah, there hasn't been any conversations like that, though. It would seem to me, though, if that was in a conversation, whether it's here or any of the stops that you've had previously, whether it's back at home with the things you've done in Chicago mm-hmm. and your foundation or – maybe in one of the two New York stops or the Detroit stop. I don't think I'm missing any Toronto. Uh, I don't know. But it would seem to me that you'd have some options for that if you wanted to. Well, I hope so. You know, options are always a good thing. And as we look into life after baseball, the biggest thing that I'm starting to line up are options. What those options are going to be or which one ends up being the one that I choose or ones that I choose is still left to be seen. At the same time, I will tell you this, and I've told a lot of people I don't plan on managing or coaching. I have a great deal of respect for all the managers and coaches I've ever had, all the way from T-ball to the big leagues. Uh, I like enjoying watching and prepping, and I like talking and, and helping, but the X's and O's of going out and trying to win the game and having that side of the things are, isn't the thing that interests me the most. If I can help a guy be in the best situation to ultimately help their team win, that part intrigues me a little bit more. So do you see yourself as let's just call it years from now, because you certainly could still play a couple more years. Give me a 10-year contract, you know? Speaking of which, what will you be doing in 13 years from now? Have you thought about that Uh, after seeing Harper's contract? I'll be be 50, right? Yeah, because I, I, well, I turned 38 this month, 
So yeah, I'll be right at 5051. Who knows? I mean, hopefully, you know, we're moving forward with the foundation. I also have my second, uh, first foundation, the Grandkids Foundation, my second nonprofit that we started in Chicago called the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy. Hopefully it'll continue to have some legs underneath it and we continue to provide opportunities for kids to play baseball and softball on a college campus and, you know, help them with their educational uh, initiatives and things that they're looking forward to. So those are some things. Uh, I'll be involved in the game at some point how, what that looks like, I'm not 100% sure, uh, and just staying busy. You know, I, I don't feel that I'm going to just sit stagnant. At the same time, I'm looking forward to doing nothing whenever that day does finally come, like having a Chicago summer or something on my radar because I haven't had one since uh, 2000. So when friends and family are like, hey, what are you doing for the 4th of July? You know, are you barbecuing? I'm like, no, nope, got a game, you know, or, oh, we're going to the beach. I haven't been to actual Chicago beach, which a lot of people don't realize we have, but I actually haven't stepped foot on the beach in my entire life because as a young kid, I lived in the suburbs, so I didn't make it to the city often during the summer like that. And then as a college student, I was there in the fall and the spring, so that wasn't it. Then my first summer I was really around, it just didn't really line up. Then I got, I played college summer ball in 01, then I got drafted in 02, and so... The beach that no one thinks we have, that's one of my things to do once I do finish up. Yeah, because that's not something that I don't think that a lot of people are aware of. Like, you guys have a lake? Like, yeah, it's a big lake. You know, it's not like a little lake. Uh, it's fresh water. There's no sharks. You can go in it. So all that stuff I've never done. So I'm looking forward to it. I should talk to my buddy Cliff Floyd about that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's ever brought that up to right. me before. Yeah, and Cliff and I were actually together uh, right before I came down here. He came in for um, our Chicago Baseball Educational Academy fundraiser. So... I think we, I don't know if he's been either, so if not, not sure. maybe him and I can both go out there, get a boat, jump in the water, step on the sand, and say we did it. I'm the executive director of his foundation. Nice. Awesome. Floyd foundation. So before you get to all of that, you got a season to play. Exactly. Here with the Marlins. So I, I know you had other options, because I report, I hear these things, right. but why the Marlins, Grandy? Why did you choose this season to play? Because... I could make the argument you could have ended up somewhere else with a better chance to hit the postseason and win. Yeah, I think it's tough to know exactly like, hey, this option is going to be the option that's going to be like, man, this I'm going to have a chance to win or, you know, we're going to do it, especially looking at the last, let's call it 10 or so years. You know, last year the Red Sox won the World Series. The year before that it was Houston. Houston. The year before that it was... Cubs. Cubs, then you have Kansas City, then you have, I think, Giants, right? So outside of the Giants, that was the only team that repeated. The Royals went there twice. So I say all that to say that literally any team at any time can do it. I was on a team in 06 with the Tigers that did it. We had just come off two years ago, three years ago, almost breaking the record for most losses in a season, and now here we are in the World Series. So that part of it didn't weigh in in terms of, hey, this team looks the best this team has the best chance to win because literally as silly as it sounds every team does have a chance you got to get out the gates hot you got to continue to move in the right direction keep guys healthy hopefully if you need to make some acquisitions when it's time to you get the right position and then finish up strong once you get to the playoffs it really doesn't matter because every team at that point all you gotta do is just win the series and then you advance win the series in advance any team can be hot or cold in a five-game series, in a seven-game series. So I say all that to say that all the things over here in terms of you know, the pitching staff, the young guys, the talent, 
some of the experience of the guys, you know, with the Neil Walker, Pedro Alvarez, and myself coming over here, mixed in with the energy that's going on, mixed in with the things that Derek and, and uh, Mike Hill were telling me that they're planning to do with the Marlins organization in the city of Miami, with the stadium, all those different things. Like, yeah, this is all stuff that I want and want to be a part of and, and, and help see to the end. So that's where it ended up being like, okay, this is the right fit for me. How much conversation, if at all, did you have with Derek prior to coming here and learning what that vision was before you signed with the Marlins? Actually, in terms of this stuff, like coming to the team, it was, it was, there wasn't any. It was all with Mike Hill. And then as we've been here, everything Mike was saying echoed what, I'm sorry, everything, everything Derek said was echoing what Mike had said in addition to the things I had read about, the things I had seen, the stuff that was happening that didn't necessarily have to be said, stuff you guys were reporting on and things like that. <laughs> so it was a combination of all those different things that made it exciting for me to come over here. Do you think that in your future, when you have those opportunities, you certainly, to me, through the years, have been as generous with your time in terms of media and broadcasters. Is that a direction that would interest you more than being on the field? I certainly, specifically with Cliff, right. he's had to make that decision. Yeah. He had that choice, and he chose to go the broadcasting route. Have you thought about that at all? It's a possibility because I did have a chance to do it, I think, in 07 and 08, and I enjoyed doing it. So the fact that you enjoy doing something, everyone always says do the things that you enjoy. So it's definitely something that would be one of the options. I know I don't want to do it full-time like I have that be my only thing you know every time you turn on the TV you see me um, because I the one thing that I, I, I said that I would want to do to my for myself is as I get out of the game I don't want to be the guy that has forgetting how difficult it was based off of the things I say like oh you know how come he's swinging at that it's difficult I swung at that you know you know gotta be critical there's no right? choice so as long as the situation gives me an opportunity where either I can learn how to do it uh, and be critical in the right way, or I don't have to be forced to be critical, then the interest level continues to move up. Grandy, you have played with some of the best players in the history of the game and guys who are going to be Hall of Famers, including the CEO of the Marlins. When you see the kind of contracts that, it took a long time, but when you see the kind of contracts that were given out, 300 million to Manny Machado, who you played against for many years. Uh, 13 years, 330 million for Bryce Harper. I mean, did he get in at the right time? I mean, I don't know. I mean, these are huge contracts. I mean, huge, huge contracts. But we waited a long time to see those. So, why do you think? Uh, can you wrap that kind of free agency up? Well, it's interesting because there's a lot of stuff that was happening over the course of this offseason, last offseason, and will continue to come out in terms of information, what's going on, what was happening. It's definitely something that was of interest in the baseball world, including media, fans, players, owners, and everything, because it was leading a lot of the topics of conversation. You know, you do a quick Google search, that was some of the things like who's left, who's signed, who still has a sign, and it's probably still one of the top conversations, because there's a lot of guys out there that have amazing talent that are still unsigned. So it's definitely a conversation that will continue to be had on both sides, MLB and the union, because I feel like, just me personally, as the game is as great as I think it is, as the game is as great as I feel fans think it is, the conversations that dominate baseball should be about, hey, my team is doing this. You know, I can't wait for opening day to see my team and these players. I can't wait for you know this series. I can't wait to see the, you know, insert the change. Not, okay, why aren't guys signing in this, that, and the other, and not 
everything that's going on and not going on in free agent, free agency, especially in the off season, because as you look to promote the game, push the game forward, make it remain relevant, make it remain interesting, the conversations in the off season should be slightly different, you know, than what they have been. Uh, so that's just you know the beginning of all those different things, and obviously it's going to be conversations that continue need to be had. Now on the flip side, guys like Machado, guys like. Uh, Bryce Harper that were fortunate enough to get what they got. It's a combination of a couple different things. One, you know, both these guys are very good. You know, I think that's one of the things everyone's like, well, does he deserve it? Is he overpaid? Is he underpaid? The fact that he's even in, in that conversation should answer a couple of those questions because it's not like they're offering everybody, hey, who wants one? And the guys are like, all right, I'll take one too. So it's a combination of that mixed in with their ability, what they've done, what they're hopefully going to do in the future. You know, early on in my career when Machado came up, one of the things that was asked a lot to me was, you know, who do you like better, Mike Trout or Machado, mm-hmm. you know, taking. The fact that guys were having those conversations speaks highly for them because there were a bunch of other players that weren't mentioned in those conversations. Same thing, you know, who's going to be the guy that might hit 750 home runs? Is it going to be Bryce Harper? Is it going to be Trout? Is it going to be, you know, Stanton? There's a reason those guys are in those conversations where guys are playing the what-ifs and the, all this stuff. So all that warrants what happened for them, uh, in addition to how lucrative the game has become, how exciting the game could hopefully become, the fans' interest to see these guys do those types of things because not everyone is doing those things. People want to see that stuff. People want to see the things that they've never seen happen before, and hopefully they'll get a chance to with those guys. And the next set of guys that continue to get an opportunity to uh, be in a position with a team for an extended period of time at the level that these guys are promoted, people wearing jerseys, kids trying to imitate their swings, people wanting their autographs, wanting to take pictures, and paying tickets to come watch these guys or sitting at home and watching them on TV. But all of it stems from the fact that guys had the ability in order to do so. You know, you make the comparison with other sports and other athletes. Like, there's a reason why people follow Tiger Woods on the golf course. Mm-hmm. He was good. He was exciting. I wanted to see him because if I didn't, I may miss something that might happen. There's a people, people, reason why people did it with, you know, Michael Jordan when he was playing, you know, when Kobe was playing um, in football, you know, people are lining up like, I want to see these guys play, you know, the young guys and the old guys. So if there's that excitement around them and you push it out there, that can continue to be the same thing with baseball because we have guys that have the ability to have that same type, same type of following and excitement. We just have to go ahead and continue to try to find ways to capitalize on it. This will be my last one. I'm glad you brought up Jordan and Kobe mm-hmm. for the people who saw him play, like yeah, me, right? like you. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me because here in South Florida, Dwayne Wade is kind of going out on his own terms. We saw last week how we had the game-winning shot against Golden State. And you have an opportunity as this season goes on to kind of make your own decision. That's not to say that you couldn't play a few more years. You certainly could. Ten years, that's what we're going for. <laughs> have, you, have you thought about that part of your career, maybe going into a this year, a 2019, a 2020, to do a um, this is it for me, this is my final year, or, is, or will you, your terms be at the end where you just say that I'm done? Every player does it differently, right. but you've had such a great career. I'm kind of wondering. So I've watched guys do it. Um trying to remember, Mariano, mm-hmm. uh, tribute, Jeter, uh, a little bit with Griffey. I was a little disappointed that it wasn't as big. Uh, not not just the team, just in baseball in general. You know, I felt like his should have been a very big one. 
Um, and it wasn't as big as it could have been. He may have decided to say, hey, don't. So who knows, Cal Ripken, you know, a couple guys. I don't feel like I'm in that category to do those type of things. I, I have a great deal of respect for watching them. I was a huge fan of all those guys I just mentioned. Uh, I, I'm very blessed and thankful that I had the opportunity to play as long as I had. But my thing has always been, hey, if the opportunity presents itself, then we'll consider coming back to play. If not, and other people can do what I do better, then it's time for me to step out of it. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Who knows, that could change here in a little bit, you know, in the future, whatever the case it might be. But that, that's always been my mindset, and I've never been – uh, too, what's the word, um, energetic or excited one way or the other, meaning I'm not like, oh man, I can't wait to do this and, and, and finish, or I have to do this in order to keep playing. I've been very easy going, you know, very even keel, you know, never too high, never too low. Um, and, and everything will line up the way it's going to line up. You know, I, I, I don't plan to you know, make a, you know, get, get a massive curtain call or announcement or anything like that. If that happens, obviously, that's great. But it's not what I'm doing. It's not. But how will we know if you don't say? Right, you know, you there's know? no. It may. You know, it could just be the last at bat right, in September. Be, right, that's the thing. I think is there's a part of that that unknown, and when you know, you know. And then if that time does come, it may be. Hey, it's a time for me to say something. Or hey, it's a time where I'm done. But it is interesting where other people do try to fill the story for you like this offseason I had a couple scouts say oh we thought you were tired I go in this day and age with the media the way it is like something would have come out you know uh, and, and nothing had so uh, it's interesting how that narrative kind of plays and you definitely want to at least have the ability to tell your own story it's just a matter of how you want to tell it like do you want the big motion picture or do you just want to go ahead and put a little snippet so uh, that stuff was still left to be seen. And thanks again to Curtis Granderson, who I can say that through the years has not only been one of my favorite interviews, but has always been so respectful, so easy to talk to. And in these years of chasing around players, try to get interviews of spring training, this is the kind of guy that comes to you. So thank you uh, to him. Uh, now we get to a really interesting interview because we've wanted to have our next guest on here since we started the podcast, but because of restrictions, he was unable to, working for decades for the Miami Herald. And covering the Marlins for 20 years, he covered the Florida Marlins, the Miami Marlins, three different uniforms. And then uh, late in February, decided, you know what? I'm done. It's time to hang it up. And he joins us now, not, not just really from a baseball perspective, but from a media perspective. We bring in Clark Spencer, who joins us now here on Swings and Mishes. Clark, thanks for doing the hey, podcast. Anytime. I'm glad to be on. Oh, well, I mean, it, is, it was a really interesting ending to your media career you've covered baseball for so long in south florida for the herald and then on the last day you went out with a bang kind of right uh yeah so to speak uh literally and figuratively i guess uh yeah my last day on a job 20 years i covered the team never once got hit by a ball never came close to getting hit by a baseball and I was just kind of happening to stand uh, down the right field line well in the foul territory, maybe two, 225 feet from home plate. And uh, all of a sudden, I must have been looking at my phone or something. All of a sudden, I hear, heads up, heads up. And I look up, and by the time I looked up, it was too late to react. And uh, the ball came down, a foul ball that was hit from the batting cages, came down and hit me uh, in the sweet spot. Mm. Didn't just hit me, hit me in the sweet spot. So I was uh, kind of like, uh, you know, kicking with its head cut off, running around a little bit. So that's that's how it all ended right there. Maybe appropriately. 
that's a that's if you're gonna go out, that's a way to go out. Like like they say in the Naked Gun, that that's the way that you want to go out for sure. Or an airplane. I don't remember it was Leslie Nielsen in some way, but that was a great way to finish. But let's go back. <laughs> let's go back to the start here, Clark, because now you're gonna have a lot of time to play the horses. We know that. But going back 20 years of covering sports and covering South Florida sports. It must have been like kind of a strange phenomenon to you not doing it now and having shut that down at least for the time being because of just the day-to-day operation of covering a Major League Baseball team. It must kind of feel, and I know it's going to sound a little silly, but like a player retires, he's done the same thing so long, and now you're in that kind of same spot. So is it a little surreal for you at this point, not waking up at 6 o'clock and driving to Jupiter or driving to wherever the Marlins are and covering the team? Yeah, it's a little, it is a little surreal. You know, like you said, I've done it for 20 years. Uh, my first spring training with the Marlins was uh, 1999. And, you know, every, ever since then, I've really been kind of tethered. When, when you're a beat writer, you're, you're embedded. You're an embedded reporter with the team. And so it's strange not checking my phone every 10 minutes to see who's tweeting something or, uh, you know, getting Google alerts on the Marlins to find out what they're doing. I mean, I kind of keep, you know, I'm still kind of following them a little bit, obviously. Uh, you can't withdraw completely, but not having to feel that tethering effect of being, uh, you know, hooked on with them uh, 24-7. Yeah, it's a little strange. Now, the Marlins really, as we know, Clark, have come up with, under this new ownership, a lot of different mantras and things that they've said over and over again. Like when JT, we're talking about an extension, we know how we feel about them. When it comes to analytics, they say over and over again, uh, we're not going to use it the most, we're going to use it the best. Like these are two things that they say over and over. And one thing that they always say about the Marlins history, Clark, is that it's a complicated history. And you've had a chance to deal with this complicated history over two decades. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, just what it was like to cover these teams because it was either really low or really high. <laughs> there was kind of no in-between. After they won in 97, it was the lowest of lows for a while. They win the World Series in 03. And then again, for 15 years, there's been a couple of nice spots, a couple of nice player performances, but no winning at all. I know. Uh, it's been a roller coaster, uh, to say the least. Uh, like you said, it's been ups and downs. And, uh, you know, the last 10 years, it's been mostly down. You know, open a new ballpark. Uh, I've done three owners, three uniforms, two ballparks. Uh, an untold number of managers and hitting coaches and pitching coaches. And, you know, uh, I, I counted, I think I counted just out of curiosity, I think there have been more than 800 and something players. They went through a period of uh, uh, when I first started. Actually, when I first started in '99, it, it kind of re- that '99 team kind of reminds me of what they're going through now. Um, when they were building, uh, rebuilding off that uh, uh, teardown in '98 after the World Series win, and so there was some high moments there. There were some weird moments. I mean, 2006, they had a 15 million dollar opening day payroll. I mean, this team was it was so raw, it was unbelievable. Uh, and that turned out to be a pretty good team. And, uh, you know, the last 10 years have been tough. And what I, I, I agree with what they're doing now. They had to do it. Uh, they were basically riding on a ship that was about to sink because they had no minor league depth whatsoever. They were top heavy. I mean, yeah, the, the lineup on the field was good. 
uh, when you had Stanton, Yelich, Ozuna, D. Gordon, those guys. <clears throat> but underneath, it was, you know, it was leaking. And I think, you know, it was, it was a ship, I think, that was about to sink if they didn't do something. So I agree with what they're doing. Uh, unfortunately, when, when you do something like that, it's a slow and painful process, and we're seeing that right now. But just as in 99, when I first started covering them, things eventually began to get better and, and you know, they eventually culminated in a World Series. Yeah, and they're trying and, – and, and listen, I think that the Major League product is important, don't get me wrong, because in, in June you're going to want to see baseball and good baseball, and we don't know that that's going to happen on the big league field, which is why they're doing so many things within the stadium to try and enhance that. We'll see if that brings people to the ballpark. Uh, let me go back to 99 through like 2000, 2001, 2002, because the way that you covered baseball then, Clark, is very different now. If you hear something now, Clark, you open up your Twitter app and you just post it or I post it or somebody else posts it. Mm -hmm. What did you do then? If, if Cliff Floyd went on the DL and I you know he's one of my good friends, so I can say that. If Cliff Floyd yeah. was going on the DL and you knew, what did you do? What, what, how did you report it? Well, come on. There was no, uh, there was no internet then. I mean, I didn't even have a cell phone. I don't even think I might've had a, I had a pager, I think <laughs> that was my connection to the office. Uh, the office wanted to get me and what you basically did was you reported a story. You, you sent it in, someone took care of it. It showed up in the next morning's paper. And, you know, if, if you got beat on a story, if, if I got beat on a story, let's say the sun sentinel beat me on a story, uh, and I'd wake up in the morning and see they beat me on a story. I'd have to eat it for a whole day. You know, 24 hours was my quickest response time to get it into the next morning's paper. Right. But now, you know, I can, I can even tell you the exact moment when it changed, at least for me, it did okay. was, I think it was July 26, 2012. The Marlins had played just a typical regular season game that previous night against the Braves at Marlins park. I went home, I went to bed I woke up uh, probably at four in the morning to use the restroom and I checked my phone and I had seen that Hanley Ramirez had been traded to the Dodgers. I don't know if you remember, but that was like in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. that deal. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, you know, I had to get online and start writing and that's the way it's been ever since. You know, it, a, a scoop these days lasts about uh, 0.13 seconds. You know, it's, it's a short lifespan. It's not 24 hours like it once was. You can react quickly and catch up in no time. So that's the biggest difference. Who did you enjoy covering in your time with the Marlins the most, whether it was a player, a manager, an executive? Everybody has kind of their people, their go-to people, which you can, you know, certainly attest to because you've seen so many of the executives and managers come in and out. But, Clark, through 20 years of doing this, who were the guys that, that you'll look back and say, yeah, I had a good relationship with this person, or I, you know, I really enjoy talking to this person. Who are those people? Well, there are a lot of, I mean, there's tons of guys. I mean, I would say 99.9% .9 of the guys were perfectly fine. I never really had any major issues with any of the players. The guys I enjoyed being around were, and, and, and I, I think even fans could see this uh, themselves when they watch games were Dontrell Willis and Jose Fernandez. Um, uh, you know, Dontrell was, uh, you know, he, he had a great personality. He wasn't only a good pitcher at the time, but he was one of those guys that, you know, you could go in the locker room and talk to at any time. I mean, even on days he pitched, there's sort of, a, there, there is an unwritten rule uh, in this, in this job and that you don't talk to 
uh, a starting pitcher the day he pitches uh, so they can get focused and, and all that. And Dontrell didn't care. You know, you could go up to him. I mean, I wouldn't go up to him with a notepad and start interviewing him, but I could talk to him about, you know, the weather or the latest news or whatever. So he was really cool. And then uh, Jose Fernandez was much the same. I mean, great personality. You could get him at any time. He didn't care, didn't mind talking. Um, and, and so uh, I would say those two were kind of the ones that I'll remember, maybe because they were both good and they were entertaining to talk to. Now, the 2003 World Series is, is probably the pinnacle of, of coverage. If you're going to cover, uh, cover a Major League Baseball team and be a beat writer, and you had that experience <clears throat> then, uh, highs and lows for your coverage? I, I think that you know, the low, clearly, Jose Fernandez's death for, I think, everybody who's been around the Marlins mm-hmm. for the last 20 years for sure. Any other scenarios that you remember, highs and lows, outside of those two events? Because I think those are the, the easy go-tos. If so, I'm, I don't want to give you a layup there, throw you a little bit of a curveball. Give me, give me some yeah, highs to, and lows. Yeah, to me, one of the highs was the 06 season because, uh, again, that, that team had a $15 million payroll. They would gutted it. They'd gotten rid of Beckett and Lowell and during the offseason. Uh, really, they had uh, they had two players left of note, Dontrell and Miguel Cabrera, which obviously are good good players. Uh, but uh, it was often referred to as uh, Miguel Dontrell and the Seven Dwarves. I mean, that team had so many rookies on it; it was incredible. And uh, they were projected to lose 120 games that year. We all thought they would, and they started 11 and 31. And we're going, yep, they're going to lose 120 games this year. They're going to they're going to break the Mets record. And lo and behold, you know, that team caught fire. I mean, those, those rookies they had, Henry Ramirez, Dan Ugla, uh, all those pitchers, Josh Johnson, Anibal Sanchez, Ricky Nolasco, uh, they turned out to be a force and actually uh, became the first team ever to go from 20 below 500 to get back above 500 and were actually in the uh, wild card race in early September. It was amazing. To me, that was like one of the coolest years. Uh, Rough years, I would say 2013 was a bad one. Uh, you know, they'd opened the new ballpark in 2012 and with all these high expectations, and they didn't pan out, and they got rid of everybody in the winter, and, and it was a terrible team in 13. I mean, you had Posito Polanco uh, hitting cleanup on opening day, which kind of, you know, kind of destroy- tells you everything. So uh, that would probably be the low would be 13. I mean, I didn't mind covering – people always say, well, how can you cover a losing team all, all the time? Well – yeah, it would be nice to see them win once in a while, sure. But to me, it was all about the stories. And there were some of those bad teams that had interesting stories on them. Even 13, as bad as it was, had uh, Jose Fernandez, rookie pitcher, pitching every fifth day. So that was something to look forward to. But, you know, that would be that would be the low point for me. Yeah, I remember the, that year. I remember Justin Ruggiano was one of their best hitters one year. I remember that. I remember them being doing the, the franchise that one year on Showtime. Yeah. And, yeah, and that was it, a bust. Oh, it was it was so bad. I remember them doing a whole episode on the wives watching a game from a sushi bar in Miami. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is what they were producing. It was incredible. Uh, a couple things, Clark, before we go. The legacy of Jeffrey Loria as an owner in South Florida, it's interesting because I know that you had a relationship with him, were able to speak to him on occasion for sure. We haven't heard from him at all. I'm surprised that to this point, it's been now uh, almost a couple of years since we've heard anything from him. And you did, he was the owner of the Marlins for the longest period of time when you covered them. So what, what do you think his legacy is as he's left here in South Florida and not hearing from him quite some time? Well, I think they would 
he would like his legacy to be the World Series title, but you know that is so long ago now. I mean, it's in the distant past. I mean, you got to look at everything, the whole body of work, um, and overall it wasn't good. I mean, they haven't had a winning season win since oh nine, oh eight, oh nine, and you know they really never had a plan and stuck with it. That was the problem. I think that's what you're seeing now with Jeter is he's got a plan uh and he's and I, I would hope they stick with it in building through the farm system um but with loria it was all over the map now i will say this they were they were fun to cover because they were always making news in some some way or another and that's what i care about is news and and they were and whether good or for bad it was there was news with them um and i i think his problem was they just didn't have a a, a plan you know, that they stuck with. One year would be, okay, we're rebuilding. That would be, we'll go back to 06 when they did that. Then towards the end, it became, let's try to patch it up with a free agent signing here or a trade there. They ended up trading their whole minor league system away, essentially, and left with nothing in the minors. So it was all over the map, and it was a little hard to pinpoint on what they were going to do from one year to the next. Clark, you're, you're still a young guy here, so you retiring – uh, from the Herald, I would guess, doesn't mean that you're done in the media or done from covering some sort of sports. You, you still have the rest of your life, and I know a lot of that will be spent at Gulfstream. Uh, so if people <laughs> want to hang out with you there, they could go find you there and, and, and check you out. But what, what's next for you? Like, what, what is the plan for Clark Spencer? I don't have any definitive plan. I'm just going to kind of lay back for a while and, and you know, just sort of let the brain unfreeze and de-stress from uh, over 2,000 games in 20 years. I mean, I've already been asked to do some freelancing gigs for uh, some places on baseball, but you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't really see myself getting in full time anymore. I might do some writing here and there, but I mean, I actually, you know, the thing is kind of interesting when you when you get this involved in sports. I mean, I grew up as a kid loving sports, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten into this. But when you do it for so long, you know, you sort of lose your interest in sports in general. I mean, I don't even watch sports rarely on television. I'm in the college hoops, uh, you know, from being from Kentucky and everything. But I, but I stopped enjoying just sports, watching games. And I think I'll get back into that a little bit again once the once this layer of of, of 20 years kind of uh, comes off of me from covering it for so long. Well, yeah, the NCAA tournament is coming, Clark, so we'll need some good tips on the, uh, on the tournament. We'll look forward to that. And certainly it has been a pleasure reading you for as many years as I have, uh, growing up with the Marlins and covering the Marlins also for a long period of time on and off. And I certainly hope to see you around a ballpark or around a horse track in the near future. Thank you so much for doing this and congratulations on a very well-deserved retirement, Clark. Appreciate you coming on Swings and Mishes. Thanks again. Uh, appreciate you having me, Craig. I'm sure we'll see you at the racetrack and at the ballpark and who know who else, probably some other places too. So thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you, Clark. That is Clark Spencer from now the, uh, just the couch, I guess you could say as uh, Clark has retired after working for the Miami Herald for, more than two decades. That'll do it for this episode of Swings and Mishes. We will be back next week. There will be some roster cuts for the Marlins. Players reassigned to the minor leagues as we close in on opening day on March 28th. That'll do it from here. Thanks for listening, everybody.